The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Today it's a pleasure to have one of our elders, Mike Jones, bring the Word of God to us. And today Mike is talking about the blessings of justification. Let's join Mike now in his sermon. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And while you're uh, turning there, uh, I'm proud to be an American. And I'm looking forward to the 4th of July on Thursday. I have my certain rituals that I do for the 4th of July. I have a whole playlist of everything from Ray Charles singing America to Lean Greenwood, uh, God Bless the USA, uh, the flags out in front of the house, and I'm looking forward to barbecue. And I enjoy the liberties that I have as a Christian, or excuse me, as a Christian and as a uh, American. I enjoy the privileges and the blessings that I have as an American and those things that are afforded to me by the Constitution. But I'm also glad for the blessings that I have from the Word of God. And we're going to look at some of those blessings today from Romans chapter 5. We're going to be talking about uh, the blessings of justification. And first of all, we want to try to figure out what that is. Justification is, uh, according to Henry Clarence Thiessen, that act of God whereby he declares righteous him who believes in Christ. We were singing that when we sang uh, O Glorious Day a few moments ago. Freely he justified, freely forever. What does that mean? It's a judicial act whereby God has declared you not guilty in his court of law. And because of that, we have certain benefits. Well, how can God declare us not guilty. How can he do that? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's that verse talking about? Well, this is probably a poor illustration, but I'll try it anyway. I love cookies. And I don't like crispy, crunchy cookies. I like soft, chewy cookies. And um, if I go to the cookie jar and the cookies in the jar are all dried out and kind of hard, there's a little trick. If you take a slice of bread and you put it in the cookie jar, close it up and leave it overnight, in the morning or the next day, all the cookies will be soft and chewy and the bread will be hard as a rock. That's what Christ did. He took all your sin and all your sin was imputed to him on the cross and placed on him. And all his righteousness was imputed to you. And so in that way, because of what Christ did, God is able to declare you justified or not guilty in his court of law because his righteous demands for justice have been met. Paul has been arguing that a man is separated from God because of sin. Oh, and you probably can't read that. I'm still getting used to uh, PowerPoint. But... um, In Romans, Paul's been working his way up to where we're going to be this morning. And he said in chapter 3, verse 23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. In fact, sin is a term from uh, archery, and it literally means to miss the mark. If you imagine the 
man, uh, the archer, pulling the bow and letting the arrow go. The arrow misses the target. That's what sin is. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. But he goes on in the next verse to say, being justified is a gift of God's grace through the redemption provided by Christ. He goes on up into chapter 3, arguing from the law and saying, basically, a man is not justified by keeping the law. In fact, he says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So we can't be justified by keeping the law or the commandments, nor can we be saved by any combination of our faith and then trying to add works or adding things to that faith to bring about our justification. It's a gift of God. He goes on later in chapter 4 to say that a man's not justified by circumcision. And you remember the right in the uh, Jewish culture, every male uh, child was supposed to be circumcised. And that was a big thing in Jewish culture. That, And the thinking was that that made them right with God. Well, he explains in chapter 4 that Abraham wasn't saved by the right of circumcision. He was saved by his faith. And the faith in, in which God declared him righteous came before the circumcision. And so when you sort of put all that together, you can't be right, be made right with God by keeping the commandments. You cannot be saved by some rite or some ritual or some sacrament or some ordinance of the church. We're saved by faith alone through Christ alone, and that was the battle cry of the Reformers. We're saved and justified by faith alone, period. Now in chapter 5, where we're coming up to this morning, Paul outlines the benefits of being justified. So explaining what it is, now he explains the blessings And looking at verse 1, the first blessing we realize is that we have a permanent peace with God. Therefore, that word connects to everything that I've just been saying, everything that Paul's been talking about up to this point. Therefore, based on everything that I've just been telling you, we have peace with God. This is a settled fact. We've been justified through faith in our, uh, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of our justification, we have peace with God. Uh, what a tremendous blessing this is for us to know that uh, we don't have to face the wrath of God. We enjoy peace with God. Uh, we did not make peace with God. You remember those old westerns in the you know, gun smoke days and there'd be a shootout in the middle of the street and then some guy would be holding his guts and bleeding and his life was about to expire and somebody would come up to him and say, you better make your peace with God. Well, we didn't make our peace with God. God made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And because of that, Romans says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Well, Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So follow this. If God is not condemning you and Christ is not condemning you, who is there to condemn you? Well, we do have the accuser of the brethren who likes to stand before God and throwing his things at us, but that's where the mediatorial work of Christ comes in because Christ 
is always interceding for us. But those who are not trusting in God do not have this kind of peace. They don't have this assurance. Isaiah wrote, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And people try to find their own peace. They try to make their peace with God in their own way. But what peace is there there in um, trying to earn your way to heaven uh, or counting on your good works to get to heaven? How how many doors would you have to knock on to wipe the slate clean of your sin to be able to be justified before God? How much money would you have to give to charities or churches or other organizations to tip the scale in your favor to take care of your uh, your sin and your skin? What about the commandments? I've had people tell me, well, I, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, here's a little surprise for you. I think there's about 613 commandments. So uh, the question is, what about 548? Are you keeping that one? What about the 357th commandment? Are you keeping that one? Oh, wait a second, I didn't even know about that. Well, then you're not keeping them all. You see, you can never keep the commandments, and the law wasn't given to save anybody. All the law did was point to the fact that you're a sinner and you needed uh, a savior. It couldn't, it couldn't uh, save anybody. All it could do was condemn them. And Paul wrote in uh, Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law, no human being will justi- be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law did not save anybody, and the law cannot save anybody. So unless the problem of our sin is dealt with, by the only provision that God has made for us through Jesus Christ, there's no way to experience peace with God. And so this morning where you sit, and from now until eternity, or from the moment you believed in Christ until eternity, you have peace with God. And that leads to another blessing. And that is that because of our justification, we have access to God, an unrestricted access to God. Look at verse 2. It talks about Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt, or you could say rejoice, in hope of the glory of God. The New American Standard Bible says that we have obtained our introduction into this faith, but the NIV and the English Standard Version both say we have obtained access into this grace. We not only have... Uh, peace with God, but we're saved by grace and we're kept by grace. We're continually standing in grace. And that provides us the access that we need to be able to approach God. So what a blessing it is to know that we have this unrestricted access to God. The Bible tells us that there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So apart from Christ, we don't have this access to God. Many people in their own ways are trying to reach God, but we need a mediator. And because of Christ, we can come in confidence knowing that we're standing in grace. Now you might say, you know, since I became a Christian, I've had some struggles against sin. I have this stubborn habit that I can't seem to get the victory over. I've come to God so many times that I just don't think that I can come to him again. 
I have thoughts that are so despicable. I'm ashamed that I could even uh, approach them again. Well, the writer of Hebrews said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need. You see that even when we're in our struggles, we have access to God. God invites us to come to us to ask for the help that we need in that struggle against sin, to kick that habit that we're struggling with, to help us in that thought life that we're trying to get victory over, whether it's lustful habits or uh, cheating at work or whatever, uh, you know, what you do with the funds at work um, and so forth. We have access to God because we have been justified. And then in the second part of verse 2, it says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have the blessing today knowing that we're justified and that the justification that we experience right now is the same justification that's going to be available throughout our lifetime until we arrive in glory. And that's a great rejoice, uh, a, a great um, blessing that we can rejoice over. We used to have these benedictions at the end of church services and they probably became sort of rote and ritualistic and formal and uh, you know, we kind of years ago got rid of the ties and jackets. I still have mine, but uh, I left the jacket at home today. But we used to have these benedictions at the end of the church services. But this one in particular from Jude, verses 24 and 25, went, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and watch this, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, excuse me, and authority before all time and now and forever. You see, the justification that saves you now, that gives you peace with God, that gives you access to God, is the same justification that's going to give you access to God when you arrive in glory one day. Because Christ did that for you. And then the third blessing that we have as Christian Christians is a steadfast hope in God. Look at verses 3 and 5. It says, and not only this, it's like those commercials on TV, but wait. But wait, there's more. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. As if it wasn't enough that we have peace with God and access to God, we can also rejoice in our tribulations. Now, I have a confession to make. Well, that got everybody's attention. <laughs> uh I don't always, uh, my first response and when trials come my way is not to rejoice. Uh, that's not all, you know, James said, rejoice when, you know, consider all joy 
when you encounter various trials, and that's not my first response. When I pulled into the parking lot at work Wednesday morning and my wife called me to say that she had just talked to the surgeon and she'll have to have another surgery. Um, I was experiencing what I'm experiencing now. It wasn't uh, uh, oh rejoice, and I think that's probably normal for most of us. But deep down inside, I know that God is working all things for His, for our good and His glory, and and I know that I can trust God because He's come through for us in the past. It's that deep, settled conviction that we have that because I know I'm justified, because I know uh, uh, I have peace with God, I know that I'm not serving some wrathful God who is just trying to ruin my day on Wednesday morning. You know, some cosmic killjoy who's, you know, looking for somebody who's having fun and then tries to, you know, quench it. So I have that deep, settled conviction inside that God is in control. And Paul says, and there's sort of a plan to this. Um, Well, I almost skipped one here. We need to remember uh, this verse from Scripture, 1 Corinthians. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You may think that the trial that you're going through is bigger and badder than anyone has ever had before, but no temptation, or you could use the word trial or testing, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we face trials, our typical response is, get me out of this. I want a quick fix. I want this to be over with. What are you going to do about this, Lord? And sometimes we're waiting for an answer. We're waiting to get through the problem. We don't know how God is going to answer it. And this verse doesn't tell us that we're going to necessarily get out of it. It talks about here at the end that you may be able to endure it. The way of the test is going through the test. And there's a pattern. When we go through tribulation, tribulation builds perseverance. And perseverance is that ability to stick it out when times are going tough. They, uh, somebody once said the mark of an effective soldier is what it takes to stop them. And that's what perseverance is about. It's about being able to work through those marital problems that uh, have been going on for a while. And you just want to quit Let's get a divorce. Let's end this. Let's finish it. We're done. Trials are designed to help us build endurance. And the goal for God is for us to work through those kind of problems. And they may be other uh, kinds of problems that we're struggling with. And the perseverance leads to proving character. And so proving character is... God refining us and making us into the people that he wants us to be. God's purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. And he's chipping away at those things in our life that need to disappear so that Christ can shine through us. And so there's a purpose and a plan in God's design for bringing us through trials. And the proven character leads to hope. And I should back up a moment. When we talk about proving character, this is one of the reasons why leaders in the church or elders or deacons 
in the church are to be people of proven character. They're not chosen on their business acumen. I've been in churches and there are people on the board and they think that they belong there because they run some successful business and they know they're going to be able to come into the church and run the church just like a business and they're devoid of the Spirit of God. Proving character is are the people who've weathered the storms of life and they've persevered and they've come through the other end. And uh, as Job so, said, though he tests me by fire, I'll come forth as gold. We're trying to uh, work on our character development as Christians, and God is trying to work on that in us. And that proven character leads to hope. And this is the hope of knowing that God's going to see us through no matter what we're facing. Because he's poured out his love into us by his Holy Spirit. So all along the way, God is with us. He's told us he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's poured out his love into us. He's working on us so that we can be the best Christians that we can be. The tribulations are not punitive because of justification. God's already settled the issue of our sin. We've been declared righteous already. So the trials are not punitive in the sense of trying to satisfy God's justice. They're perfecting. They're trying to make us the believers that we need to be. Now, I need to pause and say that we can come under the discipline of the Lord, but really, it has the same effect. When we are sinning and God brings things into our lives to get our attention and turn us around, again, he's not punitive. Discipline is different than judgment. Discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is, uh, you know, giving somebody punishment for what they deserve, and Christ took our punishment on the cross. When God disciplines us, it's for our development. So the same rules apply. Because of our justification, there's no need for God to rain down his wrath on us when I cut that guy off on the freeway going to work. Or whatever else you might do or I might do. And so... When we talk about justification and our standing before God, we're not implying that uh, Christians have some license to go do whatever they want because, well, God will forgive me anyway. Well, God will forgive you, but you may uh, and will pay the consequences for your bad decisions or your bad behavior or your poor choices. So the tribulations come into our lives, but they have a purpose, and that's to grow us. Therefore, our development, and they help us grow. I mentioned Virginia a moment ago, but over the past few years, as we face these uh, different surgeries, and now this will be a third one that you'll be uh, going in uh, on the 10th um, of this month, I've noticed over the last few years how her devotion life has improved. She has just carved out a time of the day, and she... She schedules her whole day around having that quiet time with the Lord. Her prayer life is deepened, and she keeps a list of people that she's praying for. And uh, she's also had a, a new awareness of other people who have health issues and has sort of rallied around some of those people. And um, I came home the other night, and I sat down in the chair that you, she usually sits in because she was gone, and the air conditioner was blowing right on that chair, and And uh, I looked over to my right, and here's a post-it note with some verses from Psalm 121. And so 
even though she's gone through these trials, and we've both gone through them together, but, you know, she's the one that's going under the scalpel, not me. It is nerve-wracking, and, and yet it has deepened and grown her faith in a way that may not have happened had she not been put through that adversity. And what are you facing today? Is it a marital problem like I talked about earlier, and, you know, the husband just can't get it together, he's disengaged, I get no help with the children, yada, yada, yada. I saw that hand go up. Uh, No, (laughs) I did see a hand go up. Or maybe it's the other way around. You're all gung-ho for the Lord, and, you know, Mabel just is kind of dragging the church, and she's not engaged. Maybe there's conflicts over the finances. You know, there's never enough month uh, never enough month, uh, money at the end of the month. Maybe you have that killer job at just, you know, 9 o'clock tonight, you'll be going, oh man, got to go to work tomorrow. And you just kind of eat your heart out. And that's your trial, that's your tribulation, and you're trying to find your way through that. But we have a steadfast hope in God that even in that killer job, even in that marriage where there's conflict, even if it's the kids that are kind of out of control in the house, that God can work in all those circumstances for your good and his glory. Because we've been justified, we have peace with God, we have access to God, and we have this steadfast hope in God. And there is a plan. We're not just floating out here in cyber and, you know, floating around in space with no aim. And that also leads us to the fourth blessing, which is a non-deserved provision from God. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This verse tells us, these verses tell us that we were helpless. We were powerless. We were ungodly. There was nothing deserving of us. There was nothing that we could do. In fact, I'm just going to flip over to Ephesians to amplify this a little bit. In chapter 2 it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead as a doornail in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were helpless because you were being led around by the prince of the power of the air, Satan. You were held captive. You were held captive by the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, Among them we all too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
Even the faith that it took for you to believe didn't come from you. It came from God. And now going back to uh, chapter 5, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is an undeserved provision from God. This is a great cause of rejoicing and blessing because we were helpless, powerless. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. We were like babies. You have to do everything for a baby. You have to change it, change the diapers. You have to feed the baby. You have to attend the baby. The baby is helpless to do anything. And that's what we were. We were like babies in terms of trying to do anything to deserve uh, salvation, to deserve uh, uh, Christ dying for us, and the provision of salvation. And I was uh, around this time I was working on this sermon. I was I've been reading through uh, A. W. Tozer, and you probably can't. Well, maybe you can read that. I can't read that one. <laughs> and uh, I hate to kind of lose the thought, but uh, when I copy and paste of this book from Amazon, I noticed you can buy it for 99 cents on Kindle. It's the best buck you'll ever spend. And if you had to go out and buy a hard copy for 10 or whatever bucks, it's still a great investment. It's a book on the attributes of God. And in chapter 10, Tozer is talking about the divine omniscience of God, and nobody can explain attributes like A.W. Tozer can. And as he was writing, he says... And to us who have fled for refuge, and he's talking now, keep in mind, God's perfect knowledge. That's what he's talking about. And to us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us in the gospel, how utterly, unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light and turn God away from us, since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. I mean, you could say, well, if God only knew what I was doing today, he would have never saved me, or that justification wouldn't apply. When God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, he had perfect knowledge of everything you will do, past, present, future, total knowledge, and yet he still provided the justification for you and me, and that's an undeserved provision from God. He knew us perfectly, and yet he chose us before the foundation of the world to the praise of his glory. So... We have the blessing of a permanent peace from God, an unrestricted access to God, a steadfast hope in God, an undeserved provision, provision from God, and that leads us to an everlasting salvation from God. Look at verse 9. It says, Having been justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. The wrath of God. What is that talking about? Well, Turn with, uh, hold your place here in Romans and turn over to John chapter 3. So you're just going to be flipping to the right a little bit to the Gospel of John and find chapter 3. 
And then find your way to verse 36. And in verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has, you see that, has eternal life. However, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. People are either in a state of grace or they're in imminent danger of facing God as their judge. And people today are playing religion, you know, spirituality is in. People are trying to find their own peace with God in in their own way. But unless uh, a person is trusted in Jesus Christ for their personal sa- as their personal as their personal savior, the wrath of God abides on them. That means that all the wrath, the wrath that was unleashed on Christ on the cross, which we're going to be looking at next Sunday when we take communion. All that wrath that you and I deserve. All the punishment that you and I deserved. Those scourgings that Jesus went through, being whipped until his back was completely shredded, having a thorn of crowns pressed into his brow, being spit on, being mocked, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, nails driven through his hands and feet. All that we deserve, that wrath is what is in the future for the person who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ unless they trust in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary work for them, they're going to face that wrath of God. And the Bible portrays a time of eternal punishment, of eternal torment. It's not, well, we're thrown into the lake of the fire and, you know, we dissolve. It's eternal. When we sing, when we've been there 10,000 days, bright shining as the sun, we have no less uh, days to see his, how's that go, his grace, praise, than when we first believe. On the other side of that coin, for the believer... When they've been there 10,000 days, it's not over. The wrath of God abides on that person who's not trusted in Jesus Christ. And they'll face the punishment for their sin because they never trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Somebody once said, the only thing you have to do to go to hell is nothing. We just read it. Unless you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in imminent danger of standing before him in judgment. So you can either be standing in the grace that God provided, which is perpetual and will see you through until the day of eternity, or you're standing in imminent danger of facing God as your judge and finding out that one day you're going to be cast into a lake of fire because you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 10. Paul says, and right, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? 
if you follow Paul's argument, what he's saying here is if the death of Christ could save us, certainly a living Christ can keep us saved. In other words, he died to save us and he lives to keep us saved. But that's not all. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 11. And not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation uh, has that idea of having all the barriers removed so that we have peace and access to God. And so we have all these benefits as believers and all these blessings that are a cause for rejoicing. And so this morning we need to ask our, ourselves and you need to ask yourself, have I put my faith in Jesus Christ or am I standing in imminent danger of facing the wrath of God? And you can do that right now. There's nothing in the Bible that says that walking down an aisle makes you a Christian or standing up in a crusade. It's a, it's a decision of the heart. A lot of people give mental assent to Jesus. Well, they believe the stories are true and that Jesus was a good man. Well, demons believe that too. But you know what? The saving faith, the point at which the blood of Christ and that salvation is available to you is when you receive it. It says to as many as them that received him, to them who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You don't become a children of God automatically. It comes from a decision that you make to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. And the quietness of your heart right now, you can pray, admit, yes, I am separated from God. I do have sin. I need that sin covered. I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I repent of uh, my sin. And I'm trusting and going to trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And you can do that in the quietness of uh, where you're sitting right now. And if you pray that, and you mean that in your heart, in your heart and your mind, you will be born again. And for those of us who do know the Lord, uh, we sang this song, but we sang the song uh, that's popularized by, popularized by casting crowns, and uh, we sang it, O Glorious Day, but the song was actually written by uh, Wilbur Chapman, who was a Evangelist. He is a pastor turned evangelist. He worked with uh, D.L. Moody in the Chicago area. Um, Billy Sunday was one of his students. Uh, he was responsible through the various efforts, and, and I use the word crusades, but evangelistic efforts that they had in the areas and in cities all, all across the U.S. and around the world for leading 8,000 people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote these words that we sang this morning. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, O oh, glorious day. And that's a cause for us to rejoice. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for sending your son to die in our place, to take your wrath so that we can experience peace with you. Right now, we're speaking with you uh, together as a congregation because the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, his death, 
rising again, justified us freely so that we can come boldly before you and pray. And we thank you for the access that we have. We thank you for all that you've provided for us. Help us to go from this place rejoicing and having that settled conviction in our heart that uh, we have peace with you. There's nothing to dread, nothing to fear in our relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.